Can you tell we had fun this week? Yeah. So good to be with you. My name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor here at Hope Ames. I'm just going to name this now so when you hear my voice crack, you don't wonder what's going on. Uh, we did a lot of shouting this week, um, and so my voice is a little weak. And so if I start uh, cracking or uh, coughing, you'll know that I, it, it sounds a lot worse than it feels. I, I feel totally fine, but I tell you what, there's no better reason to give God praise, to shout, than to see a bunch of kids in front of you just praising Jesus and like giving their all to him. It's amazing. We had such an incredible week at Vacation Bible School. I mean, truly, I had big expectations for it, and I feel like I didn't set them high enough. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. I wish every single one of you could have seen what these kids did. Uh, It's amazing how often we think that we are the ones who are leading the children, but when we follow their lead, we start to see some miracles. In the month of June, we had this really awesome mission drive here at Hope Ames where we donated school supplies uh, for the back-to-school blast that's coming up in August with the local schools. Um, But our kids, and you guys did a great job. You donated tons of school supplies for that. That's amazing. But the kids here, in one week, doubled our donations. Isn't that incredible? I give God praise for that. And I just wish that you could see just how full of joy they were. I mean, they were so full of joy just to do that. They were so full of passion. So fun to see how these kids were interacting, how these kids were worshiping. It was a blast. Uh, I tell you what, these kids, they were having so much fun. Um, there was one day, it was on Tuesday, where there was a little boy who came up to me after v- VBS with his dad. And he said, today was fun. I'm like, yeah, it was. And then he just starts laughing. Like, he just starts hysterically laughing. He's like, <laughs> Right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And he just keeps laughing. And of course, when someone in front of you is laughing so hard, it's contagious. And then you start laughing. And then his dad started laughing. And I don't even know why we're laughing. I'm thinking, this is kind of weird, but it's joy. It's amazing. We're just sitting there, <laughs> what? You know? That's my impersonation of his laugh. He did a lot cuter than I can. You're looking at me right now. It just sounds like knives are coming out of your throat. <laughs> Man, it was good. There was joy. There was peace. I mean, it was truly a glimpse of heaven. After Wednesday's session, the theme of Wednesday was God's peace. And after Wednesday, I was standing right here, and a little girl came up. She tapped me on the foot. She said, hey, come here, come here. I'm like, what? You know? And she's like, hey, I want you to tell my mom what you told me. And I'm like, what did I tell you? She goes, I'm like, no, what? She goes, everything. <laughs> she said uh, that she wanted her mom to hear about peace. And so we, the three of us had a conversation. I heard part of her mom's story. Um, we prayed together. And her daughter said afterward, I knew you'd like that, mom. <laughs> and truly, it, it's, a, it's a glimpse of heaven. It's amazing what we get to see when we follow the kids' lead. Uh, of course, it couldn't have happened, though, uh, without the work of some volunteers. I know that Haley uh, thanked our volunteers, but I want to give God praise one more time. So if you volunteered for VBS in any way whatsoever, whether it was before, during, um, please raise your hand just so we can give God praise for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Truly, you're, you're amazing. Um, and if you're sitting here like, oh, man, I missed it. Yes, you did. Where were you? <laughs> My goodness. Uh, the good news is you can always sign up next year. Or if you'd like a glimpse of VBS, every single Sunday, you can volunteer at Hope Kids. 
uh, and it is truly amazing to be a part of that. It's truly, uh, it really is incredible to be able to give kids something um, that's going to last forever. Uh, they've got a lot of gifts. There's a lot of different opportunities that they're going to have in life, but this is the thing that lasts forever. Nothing is greater than pointing them to their creator who wants to have this everlasting relationship with them. You can be a part of giving that to people. I, I had a volunteer who came up to me after Friday's session. She had tears in her eyes. Tears in her eyes. She said, I signed up to lead these kids, and they led me to know Jesus in a way that I'd never known before. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? I mean, seriously, we go all out for it, right? Like, we put up the lights, we do the fun songs, we dance, we have skits. At the end of the day, it's this joy that comes from the children. We see their authentic faith. Just how happy they are to be in God's presence, to be in the presence of God's community. It's amazing. Man, I was blown away. Sometimes intimidated, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we taught these kids deep stuff. And your kids are very, very smart. Let us not underestimate what our children are, our children, sorry, that was a little weird, what your children are soaking in. I mean, they soak in these stories. We told them some difficult stories throughout the week, and they soaked it right up. It was absolutely amazing. On Monday, we told them the story of Abraham and Sarah, which is a story about an older couple who struggled with infertility their entire life. They soak it up. We don't word it like that, but they soak it up. On Tuesday, we told the story about how three guys were close to being victims of, of dangerous nationalism. Again, we didn't necessarily word it like that, but we told it to them, they just soak it up. They're like, I know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know that I can trust God even when my life is on the brink. All oh, the faith it takes for a six, seven, eight-year-old to say that, it's beautiful. On Wednesday, we talked about a story about how Jesus provides peace when he calmed the storm when his disciples' lives were in danger. On Thursday, we talked about how God poured out his love for us in the blood of Christ on the cross. These kids, they, they soaked it up. You know, I was absolutely moved as I'm telling these stories because I realized that when I come up here and I preach to you, and I try my absolute best to never do this because I don't want to abuse the position that, um, that I just have the privilege of having as your pastor, but it's true. I could stand up here and I could hide behind big theological words, right? And be like, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think just because our natural reaction is to want to know what somebody's talking about and maybe do not look like we don't know what somebody's talking about, we'll be like, yeah. If I try to do that with the kids, the next question is, why? The next question is, how? And then after, who? And then, so what? And so sometimes it's intimidating to tell these stories to the kids because I have to tell them, what do I really believe about this? Do you know how scary it is to teach kids about Pentecost? That's what we taught them on Friday, Pentecost. Half of you don't know what Pentecost is. <laughs> Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It's when the Holy Spirit entered the hearts of the disciples, Jesus' followers, and they were on fire, and they were filled with an energy and a strength that has lasted for the body of Christ through today. And Friday, I got done with that lesson. I'm like, poof, I hope they got it. And in the hallway right over there, there was a boy who looked at me and said, hey, I'm like, what? He goes, that's where the Holy Spirit lives. I'm like, yeah! yeah! You got it, dude! Yeah. Said, yeah, give God praise for that. Why not? They soak it up, you know? Oh, they're brilliant. It's amazing. Um, I was doing a lot of driving this week, too. I, in the early morning, I was spending down at our West Des Moines campus. My dad and I, we wrote skits together this year, which was super fun. 
Um, and so I'd go down there to help with that, and then I'd come back up here for an afternoon session. And one day when I was driving, it was on Wednesday, I was driving from West Des Moines to here, um, I was just thinking about, like, okay, like, how am I going to tell these stories? What am I going to say? And I started to get overwhelmed, and I started to get worried, and I started to get scared. What happens when that kid says how? What happens when the kid says so what? What happens when the kid says why? What happens when the kid says who? And I realized I couldn't hide behind anything when I tell these kids this, these stories. I've got to get real with them. I've got to get honest with them. I've got to get down to basics. Let's get to the deepest level of this. Not because they're not intelligent, but because they're going to ask the questions. That volunteer said to me, I signed up to lead the kids, but the kids led me to know Jesus in a way that I had never known before. And as I'm driving, I think part of it is because I was absolutely exhausted, but also I became overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. I just started to weep. I'm just crying on 35 on my way up to Ames. People driving past me like, who is that? <laughs> I can't help that. These people are like, oh, man. <laughs> he must be going to vacation Bible school, man. Um, and uh, no, I, I began to weep uh, because I, I think, I mean, my goodness, I have been a, I've considered myself a Christian my entire life. There's never been a day where I've said like, oh, I don't, I, like, I don't know Jesus at all, right? Like there have been days in my life where I've definitely doubted, right? Where I've struggled with those things. But I would have claimed myself as a Christian my entire life. I would have wanted God to claim me as his child his, my entire life. But for whatever reason, on Wednesday, driving on 35 up here, I heard the Holy Spirit in a way I've never heard before. Clearer than ever. Not audibly. I think if that happened, I would need to go use the restroom. I don't ever want to hear the Holy Spirit's voice audibly. <laughs> Some of you are like so down with that. Speak to me, Lord. You know, I'm a little scared. <laughs> and it's just like Christ was asking me, what do you really believe about me? What do you really believe about me, Danny? I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking the follow-up questions. Why? How? Who? What? Now what? So what? What do you really think about me, Danny? And it's not like I had to do like this major like, you know, remodeling work. I didn't become an atheist for a day and then, you know, come back to it. It wasn't that dramatic, but as I've been reflecting over this the last few weeks, I realized that there are dry seasons in my life. And I need God to pour his everlasting water, his water of life, to nurture my soul. And it happened this week. I realized my need to daily experience the power of God's salvation in my life. Not just let it pass by me, ever. Daily. I need to think about this daily. Remind myself. God's salvation has saved me. How easy is it for us to forget? Sometimes I think that people um, are so confused about why their faith is feeling dry, why it's feeling empty. Perhaps it's because we've forgotten. Perhaps it's because it's gotten old to us. Perhaps it's because we're on the brink, we're on the edge, and we forgot about the power of God's salvation. In the book of Lamentations, it says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. It can be very difficult at times in life. When we're filled with sorrow, where is the hope then? 
The author of Lamentations dares to hope, it says, on the next slide here, reminds us that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every single morning. It's like you come into the kitchen and God's got a fresh spread of fruit ready for you to eat every single day. This never grows old. But I have a question for you. Has God's gift of salvation become outdated in your life? Has it grown old? Is it fresh every morning? How many times do we treat it like it's an outdated gift, right? You ever gotten a new phone? Um, From my teenage years until like 26, 27, I always had like a hand-me-down phone. Um, And so I didn't really care, right? Like I'd toss it. I'd put it in the same pocket as my keys. I'd spill food on it. I didn't care. Um, But then there came a time where I couldn't find anybody to give me an old phone, so I finally had to get a new phone. So for the first time in my life, I I had a new phone. I was really excited about it. And for about six months, I treated that thing like it was the greatest thing in the world. I bought a bulletproof case for it, just in case I wanted to climb a mountain or go scuba diving, right? Like, this is what we need it for, you know? But, But then, you know, a new model came out. I don't know, started to slow down, battery didn't last quite as long, so I start putting it in my pocket with my keys, start tossing in it. Some of you are like, what did you just do? (laughs) Um, It still has a screen protector, so I'm good, (laughs) I think. You know, for how many of us has that become like our faith, right? It was new once, but then that new hobby came around. It was a new movement, maybe it's a new ideology, maybe it's like that relationship that you prayed for your entire life finally came true, and so now that you got it, you don't really need God. You got the promotion, Lord, I always asked for this, thanks. I'll talk to you next time I need one. Has it become old? Let this be fresh in your soul. Let it be new for you. This is something truly, Every single one of us needs this. This new, this fresh salvation that God has prepared for us. We're only fooling ourselves if we don't receive that, if we don't recognize its power. The book of Romans is where we had our Bible reading from today. At the beginning of the book of Romans, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he kind of goes off a little bit. He kind of lets people have it in a loving but firm way. The book of Romans by theologians is widely considered probably the greatest theological statement ever written, the entire book. He's writing it as a letter to his friends in Rome because he's concerned about the state of their church. He's concerned about how they're doing. He's concerned about about whether or not they're seeing the salvation as something that's powerful or if it's something that's just grown old for them. Do they know that the mercies are new and fresh every single morning, or has God become outdated for them? To some of them, he says, you've chosen to worship creation over the creator, and it's just silly. What are you doing? It's claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols. Sometimes we think that we're so wise because we find that new thing in our life, that new hobby, that new ideology, that new movement, that new person, that new career path, that new dream, you name it, right? And that thing becomes our thing. 
Like, I absolutely need that. That's what I will live for. We start to think, I've become advanced, right? You ever started to talk as an expert on something that you had no business talking as an expert on? This is what happens when we try to talk to the creator about how creation ought to function. It's totally backwards. Uh, when I was in seminary, my roommate Matt and I were getting to know each other. It was before we lived together, but we were out to eat one night and there was a baseball game on. Matt was a world-class gymnast. Um, actually, a world-class gymnast. He almost went to the Olympics, right? He's very, very talented and gifted. Um, and baseball was on the screen. Matt never talked about any sport other than gymnastics. And I just figured he didn't know anything about other sports. We're watching the game, and I'm actually explaining to him the very fundamentals of baseball, as if he knows nothing whatsoever. I went so far as to explain to him what the difference was between a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher. So arrogant. Within a few weeks, Matt and I are getting to know each other better. We're starting to talk about our upbringings. I tell him, yeah, my dad's a pastor. He said, what did your dad do? It's like, oh, my dad was a major league relief pitcher. <laughs> Felt that big. And you're like, what was he thinking while he's sitting there listening to me? Okay, so this guy's going to come in. He's going to try to finish the game. But if he can't, another relief pitcher's going to come in. He's like, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that a few hundred times, right? He told me that growing up, he, Barry Bonds went to his, his birthday party, right? I mean, like, he knows a thing or two about baseball, right? And cheating. So I don't, that was not written in the sermon. I don't know why I did that. Oh, man, but how foolish we are sometimes when we think we're so wise telling the creator how creation should work. How silly is it of us to think, oh, it's 2021, now we really know how the world works. What are they going to think in 3021? Perhaps there is some ultimate truth. Perhaps the creator of the universe does know where the good stuff is. Perhaps the creator of the universe really does have the power to give us something fresh and new every single morning because the truth is not a single one of us has ever come up with the money to buy something that never gets old. Every single thing we've ever purchased eventually gets old. And the great marketing scheme of that is they want it to get old, so you get a new one. God says, you don't need a new one of me. You already got me. Now, right when you start to think, ah, oh, yes, Paul is picking on the, on the atheists, right, on the pagans, the people who live their lives apart from God. It's like he throws in a curveball. He says, but Wait. You religious people, you're no different either. He says this in Romans chapter 2. He says on the next slide what he says in Romans chapter 2. Do not use your freedom to... Whoa, I totally skipped something. That's fine. we got to keep on moving because we're running short on time. Go to the next slide. You may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. No excuse, religious people. You might point your finger at them, but what are you doing? You're just like the kid who's telling the son of the major league pitcher everything that he already knew about baseball. You're pointing your finger at people who are doing the same thing as you. It's so easy for us sometimes as religious people to say, oh, well, the pagans, oh, well, the heathens, oh, well, the atheists, oh, well, the people on the other side, all the people with different political ideology than me. They're so confused. They're so lost. They're so broken. And Paul says, no, this is true for every single person. I think that sometimes we think that there's this spectrum, right? And on one end, it's the people who are irreligious. They hate the idea of God. 
They've got kind of this humanistic approach to people or to life and the world around us. And then on the other side of it, we have people who are very religious and they've got a very moral approach to life. And they say to the people on the other side, you're nothing like me. The irony of it all is they're so similar. They both manipulate language, right? They both send people out. They both excuse some things and not others. They both say some people are all good and some people are all bad, whether their ideologies say that they're supposed to say those things or not. They both call it accountability. But the truth is, there's no accountability in dismissing somebody from society. There's no accountability in telling someone you're not welcome in our religious community because of your behavior. It's just exclusion. It's not a spectrum. It, it, it's much more of a circle. And the irreligious and the hyper-religious legalistic people are very close cousins because they behave the same way. And so it comes to us, too, as Christians. Paul says how foolish it is to think that you know better than God. How broken we are. It says this in the book of Romans, now in chapter 3. You heard this at the beginning of the reading today. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It's funny, sometimes as hyper-religious, legalistic Christians, we can tell the people who are irreligious, anti-God, and say, you have no place in this community because you don't follow our rules. When the very book where we get those rules from tells us those rules will never save you. Those rules are much more of a mirror. They just tell you where you're misled, where you've gone wrong. The rules is God's perfect idea for creation, his perfect intentions, the way that we were supposed to live and operate with one another. And then we got lost. And the law tells us where we're wrong and where we're off. None of us are to abolish the law. Jesus himself says, I didn't come to abolish the law. Instead, I came to fulfill the law. Not a single one of us is entirely innocent. And yet it seems like so often all of us, including me, are so quick to just point a finger at the other side, right? Man, that's a faith gone dry. That's not fresh every morning. It's exhausting. It's stale. It's like spoiled milk. You want to throw that out. And we wonder sometimes, why am I just not feeling filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Why don't I have that joy? Perhaps it's because that we're not the one, perhaps it's because we start to think that we don't need this. But of course we need it. What are the standards that you set for other people? The Olympics are coming up. And do you ever notice that when you watch the Olympics, you're watching sports that you really only watch once every four years, right? I don't watch swimming except for once every four years, but by the end of the swimming week, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? You're taking way too much time out of the blocks. Come on, pick it up. You call that a backstroke? <laughs> I would love, I would love, just for one time, I mean, like, you hear people say this all the time, just to put it, like, just to make it, like, understandable for us for how elite these athletes are, like, put me in the pool next to them. How silly would I look? And my goodness, like, none of us are ever going to reach perfection. None of us are ever going to reach that standard. You say, well, the Olympians, they are. They won't always. 
In the early 1900s, you know what the record was for the 100 meter dash? 10.8 seconds. The champion in the Iowa State High School boys track meet this year ran 10.7 seconds. The standards just keep on changing. None of us can reach perfection and stay there. We all need something to come fresh for us. We all need a new mercy in the morning. When we're feeling like we're on the edge, like we're on the brink and the world is breaking around us and we don't know why. There's this famous, really, I mean, he's a famous guy, uh, uh, seminary professor at Luther Seminary that many of our older pastors had learned from back in the late 80s and early 90s. His name is Dr. Forty. Uh, if you've been around Hope for a while, you've probably heard my dad talk about Dr. Forty, and many of the sermons and messages that you hear here are deeply influenced by this guy. So whether you've heard his name or not, you have been uh, uh, preached a sermon that was influenced by him. And he would ask his classes famously, he would say, what's the problem with the world? On the first day of seminary class, you've got all these seminarians who are sitting there, and they come up with these big, great ideological, big, great theological concepts. And really, but what you could sum up their ideas to: yeah, well, the problem with the world is greed. Uh, the problem with the world is lust. The problem with the world is injustice. The problem with the world is whatever surface problem you can think of. And those are important problems, but they're surface. And Dr. Forty would always correct me. He says, "No, no, no, no. You're missing it." The real problem with the world. You ready for it? Come on, ask your questions. Go deeper. Keep on asking the how. Ask the why. Ask the who. Ask the so what now. The real problem with the world today and of every day is sin. It's sin. Sin is the reason for every injustice. Sin is the reason for racism. Sin is the reason for corruption. Sin is the reason for theft. Sin is the reason for abuse. Sin is the reason for addiction. You name it. Whatever the big, enormous, surface-level thing is, at the base, it's sin. And sometimes it's sin that happens around us. Sometimes it's sin that happens to us. Sometimes it's the sin that we put out into the world. But the problem is sin. In the book of Romans, as we're hearing Paul talk about sin, he doesn't talk about sin so much as it's the actions that we do, but even almost like this personal figure. It's like it gets our it's grips on us. We, we can't break free on our own. We need something bigger. We need something new. We need something fresh to set us free. Are you looking for freedom? Then I believe you're looking for grace. Be nice if we could provide grace to one another, right? Do you ever feel like you're ashamed of who you are? Do you ever feel like you can't reveal the fullness of who you are? Are you ever afraid to show your quirks? One of the funniest things I saw all week was there was a kid with an ice cream sandwich um, in his hand yesterday, and, uh, and he's eating it, and he's saying to his friends, I'm a hungry hippo. I'm a hungry hippo. And his friends are just laughing, right? They just think it's so funny. They're like, ah, you're so funny, he's so hungry about. Now imagine if you did that in public. <laughs> I don't have to imagine it. I'll tell you why. Uh, that little statement, that little phrase was, was, was stuck in my mind, I guess, for the last couple of days. And so last night I was at a wedding and I'm, I'm quirky. Like, I, I, I can't deny it. Like, I'm super weird. It's just the truth. Um, I just, I just am. Uh, I think it's because I have a job where, where like, I have to express myself, right? But deep down, people are surprised by this. I'm an introvert. Ask my wife, right? right? Like, she's like, you're an introvert, but you try to express yourself, and sometimes you're just weird. 
and she loves me anyway. I, honestly, I think my goal in life is to make her laugh, and it works 50% of the time, right? Um, and so I, I can be kind of quirky, and especially around her and especially around our close friends, because I'm like, well, they're going to, like, they know me. They understand me, right? They'll welcome me. Even if I'm weird, like, I'm not too weird for them. I don't have to be ashamed for that. Like, they give me that grace. There's that freedom. There's that space for me to just be myself. So last night, we're at a wedding. There's a couple at Hope Ames who got married last night. There were two couples from Hope Ames that got married yesterday. I got to do both weddings. So cool to be able to celebrate that. At one of the receptions, I was there, and I'm walking with Abby, and I'm walking with our friends, and we're walking by a snack bar, and I see some snacks. I'm like, ooh, those look yummy. And I have that statement stuck in my head. (laughs) It's way worse than you think. Just wait. (laughs) And there's like this giant thing of popcorn. I'm like, oh, cheddar popcorn. I love it. Yes! So I take a, I mean, like, I'm like, I'm like, my friends are going to think I'm so funny. Abby's going to think I'm hilarious. Okay. So I like take the scooper. I'm like, whoa, scoop. And then I lift it up and I like slam it in my cup. And I think I'm being so funny. And I turn to where I think my wife's head is. And I look her right in the face and I go, I'm a hungry hippo. (laughs) Abby and my friends kept walking. (laughs) And I am this close to a stranger's face screaming at her, I'm a hungry hippo. (laughs) Yeah, you are too. And I mean, she couldn't get away from me fast enough. She just, (laughs) I knew there was something weird about that pastor. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, I just wanted to hide. I was ashamed. I'm like, oh, I got some weird quirks. But it's cool uh, that when someone does, like, understand you and why you do the things you do, oh, man, I, I can't believe Abby hasn't asked me yet, why are you the way you are? <laughs> but when someone knows why you are the way you are, right, the truth is we're all very complicated and even more complicated than we like to think, and especially the people who we don't like, they're more complicated than we like to think. The truth is this, your idols are not as righteous as you believe they are, and your enemies are not as evil as you want them to be. We're complicated. Everybody's got a backstory. We've all got these different upbringings, and we're trying to be experts on everybody else's. But the truth is, every single one of us needs grace. Thank goodness we have a God who does not misunderstand us. Thank goodness we have a God who knows why we do the things that we do, whether they're weird, goofy, or just sad. says everybody sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. What is it that you need fresh every morning? What is it that is so powerful that it ought to blow you away daily? It's grace. It's a gift that will last forever. It's a gift that you cannot buy Biblically, the word that's used in the Greek for grace is charis. Everybody say charis. It means grace, it means kindness, and also just means free. It's free. It cannot be earned. When I was typing the Word document for this sermon today, I wrote free gift. And my Word document underlined with that squiggly line underneath free gift, and I right-clicked and it said redundant. How many of us are trying to earn gifts from God? 
How many of us are trying to earn God's grace? You cannot earn God's grace. All fall short. Whether you believe you are on one spectrum or the other, we realize it's really much more of a circle and we're all just there down in this pit and we don't need somebody to throw us down a rope and say, hey, come on, get up. We don't need somebody to mock us. We need somebody to come down and offer us grace, the gift that we cannot offer ourselves. I know that when I talk to a group this large, and praise God that this community's growing again. How cool is it? I love that we have to have people sitting in the balcony again. Yeah, God is good. That's awesome. Man, I know when I talk to a group this big, there are people who are all over the place when they approach this faith thing. But we all know this. None of us can buy. None of us can earn. None of us can win. None of us can accomplish anything that lasts forever on our own. But this free gift that God gives us his kindness and his grace never runs out. God sees how goofy, how weird, and also how sinful we are, how complicated we are, and it only draws him closer to us. It breaks God's heart when we get the idea of creation wrong. It breaks God's heart when we're, when we're accidentally acting foolish. It breaks God's heart when we're unwittingly throwing injustice into the world when we think we're fixing things. But it only draws them closer to us. You know, we think that we're going to find joy, right? On our own. We think that we're going to find joy either through not having religion. We think we're going to find joy from, uh, from perfecting religion. Well, that's not where joy comes from. Joy comes from following God. Paul continues and he writes, okay, so if we're going to do like, if we're just going to, you know, emphasize faith and grace and this free gift of God, does that mean we just throw away all the law? Like none of it matters anymore? Of course not, he says. Of course not. Only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. And Jesus talks about exactly what the law's purpose was in John chapter 15 when he's having a conversation with his disciples right before he's about to go fulfill the law to completion on the cross. He says, when you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Some of us are so caught up in finding our own individual freedom, right? And we think that's where we're going to find our joy. Either we can accomplish it from running away from God, or we can accomplish it by manipulating God, by perfecting his law, which is just an impossible endeavor. None of us can earn this everlasting joy on our own. And even if we think that we're happy for a moment, even if we think that we have our freedom, what's our freedom? Is freedom saying, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want? Of course not. Because if that's truly my definition of freedom, eventually my freedom will prohibit somebody else's freedom. I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want. It's the exact reason why we have injustice. It's sin. It's the reason why we have racism. It's sin. It's the reason why we have hatred. It's sin. It's the reason why we have corruption, abuse, addiction. It's sin. It's not real freedom. It prohibits freedom. It's a mirage. But God's freedom is different. God's freedom is everlasting joy. It's everlasting grace, a gift that never runs out. Joy can only come from the free gift of God that says you won't earn it on your own. The word for joy in the Bible is kara. Everybody say kara. 
that sounds familiar, it's because its root word is charis, which is grace. Biblically speaking, joy only comes from the free gift that God provides. Joy, real joy, only comes from grace. Receive this grace. Live in this grace. Let's talk really quickly about what living in this grace looks like. First, we thank God daily. We let this become fresh every single morning for us. We don't let this pass us by and be joyful about it. That's not some sort of like superstitious, I'm going to be happy and then things are going to be happy around me, right? No, it is daring to say, my life might be on the brink right now, but I dare to hope because God's hopes, God's mercies are new every single morning. So it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, give thanks, be joyful, pray continually. Also, we resist judgment. We know that it's not a spectrum, but instead a circle. And we're all sometimes just walking around that circle, pointing fingers at one another, saying, you're it now, you're it, you're it. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaches about don't judge others. Don't point out the log in somebody else's eye when you have a speck in your own. You, you can't, excuse me, got that wrong. Don't point out the speck in somebody else's eye when you have a log in your own. You, you're not seeing the world, right? You're biased. And we need to stop trying. I don't think God dislikes your efforts, but how many of us, again, are trying to earn God's love instead of share God's love? And what if we just confessed what if we were okay with our quirks? What if we weren't necessarily okay with the sin that we do, but we're okay with ourselves knowing that God can separate us from the sin? We don't have to pretend to be perfect, but instead we can live in God's grace. And when it tells us in 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sins, we only deceive ourselves. And that's the truth. But those who confess their sin, they're claiming their right to be children of God. Finally, reflect love. In 1 John chapter 4, it says that God is love. And if we don't love people, then people aren't seeing God in us. God's love. So if we know God, people will love. We will love. But if we don't love, then it just shows that we don't know God. In order to reflect love, love has to hit you. Let me be really clear here. Sometimes we just like, oh, well, grace is going to cover it. Yes, grace covers all of your sin. But just be careful on this. Has grace hit you if you're not reflecting it? Have you received forgiveness, but you refuse to share forgiveness? Have you received God's love, but refused to share God's love? The Bible would say that God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's love is stronger, more powerful than that. This is a free gift that produces joy. Joy in your heart. Joy in the hearts of the people around you. Reflect it. Share it.